Okay. Your, your subject is the righteousness of God. Okay. And what is in, involved in it. All right. By righteous, we simply mean doing what is right. All right. So when we say God is righteous, what we're saying is that every single solitary thing that God says or does is right. It's absolutely perfect. If there's any way you could improve on anything that God says or does, then it wouldn't be right. There would be a better way. And so when we say God is righteous, what we are acknowledging is that he is 100% right on every single solitary thing. Now, whereas God is 100% right on everything, we are not for a number of reasons. Number one, we are finite. The only and infinite being could be 100% right on every single solitary thing. And we are finite. Sometimes we're wrong due to ignorance. Okay? Sometimes we're wrong due to a lack of experience in an, in a, in an area. I mean, if uh, somebody says, uh, don't touch the stove, it's hot, but we've never been burnt, we don't know what hot is. And so there is no way for a finite being to, to just simply remain right and, and to be all right because he, he's not operating with perfect anything, you know, that, uh, and, but yet God is. He has all knowledge. And since God can see the end from the beginning, he knows what will work and what won't work. You and I don't see the end. We, we live in the present. And, and many times we make decisions not knowing at all for sure. So separate from God, it would be impossible for a finite person to be right. Okay? Then the only way I can possibly be right is to put my trust in what God says. You know, because he does see the end. But then the problem is, as a finite being, men with their free choice have, have, have always made the decision to challenge God. We, we all have. In other words, that, that uh, we have made the decision to actually do our own thing. And when God has said not do something or to do it, for whatever reason, we've made our decision to, going back to Adam and Eve in the garden, to deviate in various ways. All right? What happens then, once we deviate through our free choice and do our own thing, it's the consequence of our mistake that causes us to say, hey, God's way was right. But if there were no consequence, we, we don't know. And so the very consequence of sin causes us to appreciate God's rightness. Okay? And so we can sit back here as human beings, and the more of life that we've experienced, the more we can appreciate the righteousness of God. Because through experience with life, we've seen that any time people individually or collectively deviate from what God says, that there's consequences there. And so we sit back and we say, God is righteous. Everything about him is absolutely right. And by that, we mean like in uh, Psalms 119.72, that, you know, all the commands of God are righteous. We've looked at those commands. And so what do we mean when we say they're righteous, given by a right God? We're simply saying that these commands are absolutely right in that they work. That you cannot successfully live separate from those commands. To, to the extent that you walk in those commands, you're living in a right way. To the extent that you don't, you're living in a wrong way. 
And so the Bible would say the law of the Lord is perfect. You know, Psalms 19. Or David would say that I'm wiser than my enemies and I'm, I have more understanding than the ancient and I'm wiser than my teacher. And he wasn't bragging. He says he was talking about the precepts of God, that the entrance of God's word gave light. And, and it was a light unto his feet and a lamp unto his path. And, and they gave understanding to him. And therefore he hated every false way. And so that God gives his commands. They're righteous in that they're completely right. And so when we talk of the righteousness of God, we simply say that God is 100% right. He's the only being in the universe that can be 100% right because only an infinite being who can see the end before the beginning can perfectly understand everything, know exactly the right way to conduct ourselves and, and everything like that. So all of that is involved in the righteousness of, of God. Now, you and I can sit back and we can see God's rightness and those commands, but we don't obtain, we, what we see in ourselves is people that fall short of, of what is right. And, and we, we look at that and we say, hey, I, I inwardly acknowledge that it's right, it works, but I see a different law working in the members of my own flesh and so that I, I don't do sometimes the very thing that I know is right. And so wretched man that I am, what am I going to do? And, this is, and now we come to this problem of salvation. First of all, if God were not righteous, there would be no problem of salvation. It's because God is righteous and we wind up with a real problem. How does a 100% righteous God uh, deal with people who are not righteous? Because if he's just going to look over it, then he wouldn't be righteous. I mean, if, if you and I are working together and I'm willing to look over your dishonesty, then that in itself says something about my honesty. Yeah, or if I'm willing to look over your mistreating somebody or you're not doing anything right and just push it aside, that says a whole lot about my honesty and all. So the point is, the, the more honest we are, the more desirous of doing what's right, the less that any of us can look over the wrongs that other people commit. Well, now, if that's true with us, then that becomes perfectly true when it comes to God, who is perfectly righteous and therefore cannot look over, you know, these things. All right, then, what God has done, though, is that God has uh, came to earth and incarnated himself in human flesh, lived a perfectly right life, and then knowing that he would be killed, but then having made the decision that he would allow that life to be a sacrifice and an atonement for others. And, and he builds this concept through the Old Testament. Now, all of this is done in a sense that is, it's, uh, in other words, it's not a literal type thing, in that, although it happened, all, but it's done for our minds. In my, I don't know any other way to explain it, in, in that it, in some way, that God has to justify the unjust. And he has to, on the one hand, he wants to forgive me, his love does, based on my repentance, but he has to also impress on my mind just how serious the sin is and that it has to be atoned for in some way. And so he chose this way. And Paul refers to it as the, as the wisdom of God and, and something that 
that people have called foolish in the time it was being proclaimed, but yet was the wisdom of God. And there are another time he refers to it as the mystery of God. You know, a righteous God justifying the, the unjust. So God's commands are righteous. God is perfectly righteous. We are righteous of our own merit only to the extent that we keep the law, but none of us perfectly keep the law. So the only way that we can be righteous is to have God give it to us. And that's it's simple. That's the only, only way. And so salvation becomes then a, a free gift. But God is doing it based on our sorrow and our repentance. And the only thing I can think of to, again, convey some understanding there, we're made in the image of God. And even as imperfect as we are, whenever a criminal commits a wrong act out here, what we really want is not to have to destroy that criminal. The, the ideal for us is to rehabilitate him and to have him repent. So we don't want to just throw him in jail and throw the keys away. We, we want that criminal to suffer the consequence for what he's done and to actually be sorry for it and to make a decision that is foolish conduct and then to come back out in society and not do it. That's what we want. Well, if we're that way in our imperfection and our evilness, then that in itself can help us to appreciate God and his relationship to us, that even though we've done wrong, he doesn't just want to do away with us, he loves us. And so what he wants to do is to rehabilitate us. Well, God rehabilitates us through the consequence of our sin, our becoming aware of it, making the decision to repent. We still have that debt, and so God's what he says, I'll pay the debt myself. And, that, and it's that simple. He just simply pays the debt himself, and he does so in a way that God has worked out that demonstrates his justice, that demonstrates his love, demonstrates his righteousness, all of that displayed in that in that one act. And I think, you know, Isaiah 6 is good, where Isaiah, you know, is called and realizes his own condition. Uh, I think he can bring in the fact that, uh, that an understanding of the rightness of God, is righteousness of God, is important to see our own condition. Uh, people who are out there now who believe in God as a creator and who honestly are counting on, on the possibility of eternal life after they die because they're pretty good people. That, and we call them this good moral person that's trusting his own morality. That person does not understand the righteousness of God. If he did, he'd know how that he was not near as good as he thinks he is. And, and, it, and uh, the, the beginning of seeing our own need for repentance is in recognizing just how righteous that God is. And if we look at the life of Jesus, instead of just putting it off as a way off ideal and say, hey, when I look at that light, this is exactly what God is saying I should be. I mean, he's saying that I ought to have that much love for everybody, even my enemies. He's saying that I ought to be that sacrificial and I ought to be that giving, that I ought to be that studious, that, that I ought to have that much desire to do the the will of God, that when you look at that, it's not just something there to read as a nicety. He's, God's saying to you, listen, I didn't, Jesus, I became flesh and blood myself. I didn't give you an impossible task or anything that, 
that's exactly what you should be. And, and we look at that and we say, hey, we, we do fall short. That, that is the perfect rightness of God in that life. I think it's a difficult concept, too. I think, you know, it has been for me. I think, you know, I try to, and, and it's just not parallel, but I try to think of like a, a just judge that will, you know, say, well, the penalty, you know, is whatever. It's a just penalty. Of course, we know God knows what is just. And then I'll pay that penalty for you. You know, I'll, I'll give myself or I'll give my son. You know, you deserve to die. You took somebody's life or you did whatever. You deserve to die. But I'll die for you or I'll let my son die for you. And I guess that's, that's not really a... Well, it's based on repentance, so it's not just done. And when people criticize the concept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's perfect justice. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that's uh, the, 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 if we were going to practice an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you would be literally practicing perfect justice. But the problem with it is that no one of us could stand it. We, that no one of us could stand an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth situation because that we, we all do fall short. I think, too, sometimes, you know, that people, I know, at least when you're younger, you know, you wonder, well, why did God say, you know, do it that way, say, don't do this and don't do that and do this and do that. And somewhere along the line you realize he, he does that because we're going to get hurt if we do that. If we get commit adultery, we're going to get hurt, and it's going to hurt other people, and everybody's God's child, and so somebody's going to be hurt in that, and he doesn't want to hurt, or if we lie about somebody, somebody's, one of his children's going to be hurt, you know, it's like with us, with our children, you know, we would, we'd be concerned about that, or if somebody steals from something, one of his children's going to be hurt, so he says, don't do these things just because the loving Heavenly Father that knows how, what's best for mankind, and so he's trying to save us all this pain. But then we don't do it, and there's consequences that God has put there for mankind. And I, I think one important concept is to realize that the consequences are there, and sometimes we suffer the consequences of other people's sins. You know, if there's a drunk coming down the road, we may very well get hit by him. But I, I think just the concept helps just to know that that God is right, and in the long run, we, we want to look at this physical, and that's all we can see. We, we don't look at it from eternities, from etern the eternal aspect. So, I don't know, I'm sure if we could, then, then we would maybe understand a whole lot more. But I think that's part of the problem of St. Paul, just that, that we're, we're limited and we think physical and right now instead of eternal and spiritual somewhat, maybe? Yeah, I think that only an infinite being can be perfectly right. You know, you couldn't, the only way we can be right is trusting in that perfect being and following Him. I think, too, to fully appreciate, like when the psalmist or the proverb writer is making statements like the sum of thy law is righteous and, uh, that, uh, and, and making all these complimentary remarks, 
what some seem to think you take away from inspiration, I believe adds to the appreciation. That is not the Holy Spirit dictating and saying that. That is David or Solomon through their own experience with God's law and in the providence of God having come to that conclusion and that realization. And that's what God wants. Uh, he wants man of his own, just like the story of Job. He wants man of his own free will and experience to come to the realization that his way is absolutely right and to make that statement himself. That that's exactly, it's inspired in the sense that God gave them that experience, the life, the, the consequences, the benefits and all of, of doing or not doing these things. And then that realization happened and then that was what God wanted them to see. He wanted it expressed and he wanted it written down for all generations, you know. And so it, it's there and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be if God didn't want that down. And it's just as inspired as when God did give direct revelations like the prophecies of the Messiah or anything like that. That it, it, It's still, uh, it's inspired through the experiences and the opportunities and, and those things that they've had in life, the consequences and all like that. I just wonder how much of David's own sin was involved in causing him to appreciate just how right. Because remember when he repented in Psalms 51, and he pleaded for God to spare his life. He said his statement was that I will teach transgressors your way. That he thought he was going to be better prepared to actually teach the right way than, than, he, than he was before. Sort of like some of the people we have that have become Christians after being addicted to drugs or alcohol or something like that. That they are sometimes ten times over more effective than others who have not in you know, nailing down how wrong that is. Well, tell yeah. me. Well, I've got a few weeks before. Well, if I get you, that's the things now to start looking at, and then you will have specific questions then. That you yeah. Always start by defining what you're talking about, you know, what you mean, and, they could, and let them know. In other words, I would start off by saying that there are several different ways this can be approached. We obviously can't do all that in one lesson. And so what I'm looking at tonight and then define it. We're looking at the righteousness of God and define exactly that. And then you can give that comparison between, and then you can go from that to what the importance of it. And part of it is that you, no one will ever see their need for salvation until they experience, see the righteousness of God. And a lot of so-called good moral people out there right now don't think they need to be saved in the blood of Christ. They think because they don't, they've never really taking a good look at the righteousness of God they think they're righteous because all they compare themselves with is their, their fellow man and so it's really important from that standpoint and then nail down the fact that what we're actually saying is that everything God does is perfectly right and then nail down the fact that uh, only an infinite being can be perfectly right uh, in other words that uh, look at the stock market as finite beings no one of us would ever say that we can make the right decision every time we invest. Nobody can, even the greatest stockbroker. But uh, an infinite being that can see the beginning before the end can make the perfect right decision every time. All right, in the same way with sin, uh, obviously if sin didn't have something to offer, then nobody would do it. But what it offers is in the short run. Well, only this perfect being 
can look down to the end and see the ultimate consequence and say, hey, this is wrong. You know, it may seem like fun right now, but I'm telling you that there's going to be people hurt along the way. It's, it's wrong. And so we, through experiences and consequences, just simply come to constantly see how righteous God is. And I, I think that the longer we live, the more we can appreciate the rightness of God because we've had more and more experiences of sin that our deviation only brought consequences and seeing others deviation and looking at the world and it just constantly impresses on our mind the rightness of God you know and, and, it, and, it, and he reveals it in the and then when we look at Christ we see the righteousness. you see at first in the Old Testament we see the righteousness of God displayed in his commandments that they are absolutely perfectly right and all like that and we learn through the consequence of life in the New Testament we see the righteousness of God displayed in the life of Christ uh, and then the word incarnate, the word become flesh. And then, in our own person, we finally have to come grips to grips with the fact that at our best we're not righteous. And that when we say we are, we say it in a relative sense. And that the only way we can be righteous like God, in other words, we can be right, righteous as other human beings, but the only way we can be righteous like God is for God just simply to, to impart that to us and, and give it to us. And so that's exactly what happens in the salvation that we experience in Christ. My Philippians 3, 7 through 11 would be, would be a good example of that. Okay. Now, that's probably why somebody like that Norman Lear would make, I think it was him that made the statement, you know, that, well, I drink a little bit and I do this and that and the Lord, and if, if there is a God. Not Norman Lear. Who was that? You're talking about Ted Turner. Ted Turner, yeah. And if, if, if there's a God and he wants to punish me for doing that, so be it. He doesn't, he's comparing himself, I guess, with other men. Sure, he said, I'm not that bad a person. He said, I'm a, he's basically saying, I'm uh, an altruistic type person. I'm in tune to the needs of the world, and I'd, I'm concerned about ecology and the environment and, and all like that. And, and if God wants to send me to hell because I've had a few women and a few drinks, and then so be it. So he looks around at, and he'll look at a Jimmy Swaggart or a Jim and Tammy and say, hey, I look just as good as they do. And he, and he would be a, right, a good example that he's, he looks pretty good because he just simply looks at other people, you know, and, that, and that's it. Did I cut you off? Yeah, you did. Well, in the sense that, uh, uh, did God make a right decision? In other words, we're saying God is righteous, well then God created man who turns out to be unrighteous. But uh, God has made, the, the, there could have been no other way. God made a decision to give man free choice. Nobody but a person with free choice can worship God. He cannot be worshipped, he cannot be fellowshiped by anything except free choice. And then the righteousness of God will be displayed as man comes to realize that God's way is right and makes his decision to repent. Anytime that uh, a person is challenging something in God's design of things, whether it's a tornado or earthquake or diseases or death or whatever, they all have, they have one thing in common. They're only looking at part of the picture and, and, and whereas God's always looking at the, and when we look at the full picture, it looks totally different than when we just look at part of it. It's just like a father would discipline a son, even the tornadoes and things of that nature. 
are there to to let man know, to get man to look at himself and to Well, the Number one, the tornado actually has a physical reason. It served, uh, those things serve physical functions here on the earth. But number two, they keep people aware of a supreme of a power and a force beyond themselves. It's probably a motivation to trust and look for something more higher than yourself to trust. So what you're saying is that we may not always understand yeah. I honestly believe the Bible gives you the understanding of what you need. Just like when he said in Hebrews that don't despise the disciplining of the Lord and things like that, that, that you know that in some every negative thing in some sense is disciplined uh, you know, from from God, you know, whether directly or indirectly. Right. Directly or indirectly.